Hear now the word of God. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this evening. Let's pray together. Father, you love us so much that you have given us your church. You've given us officers. You've given us elders and deacons. You've given us a session to care for our spiritual good, to guard the pulpit of the church and protect gospel proclamation. Would you help your church members to submit with gladness and joy? And would you help your church officers, O God, to bring you honor in how they shepherd your flock? Would you do these things we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory? Amen. You may be seated. So our passage this evening is only one verse. Last week's passage reminded us of the high calling of the elder and Peter reminded us how elders are to lead and what it means to be a shepherd. And one of the main things he told us last week is that elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Our church book of church order says this. It says our blessed savior for the edification of the visible church, which is his body, has appointed officers not only to preach the gospel And administer the sacraments, but also to exercise discipline for the preservation both of truth and duty. It is incumbent upon these officers and upon the whole church in whose name they act to censure or cast out the erroneous and scandalous, observing in all cases the rules contained in the Word of God. And we saw the responsibilities of elders last week, and we were, we were going to overlap with that tonight. There's going to be overlap between last week and this evening. But the question is, what about everyone else? We've heard about the responsibility of the elders of the church, but what about church members? Do they have any responsibilities? Well, they certainly do have responsibilities, and that's where Peter turns his attention tonight And tonight's sermon is very simple because our passage is relatively simple. Let's just ask, what does it mean to keep Peter's command here? What does it mean to be subject to the elders? That's the first part of the question. And then the second part is, how can we be subject to the elders? And Peter's answer is humility. So be subject and be humble. That's the two parts of the sermon tonight. Uh, First, Peter says church members should be subject to the elders. Now listen to how Peter says it. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That's an interesting way that Peter decides to say this. This is a command for everyone. Every member of the church is to be subject to the elders. There is no exception to this. But for some reason, Peter especially highlights young people. Um, And and my suspicion is he thinks they need this reminder. Um, But we just need to be very clear about one thing. There is no, so there's no confusion. This really is true of all church members. It's not like, well, everybody under the age of 30 needs to listen to the elders. And everyone over the age of 30 or over the age of 40 or 50 doesn't need to be subject to the elders. That is not what Peter is saying. You may be 16 Or you may be 116, but if you are a church member, then you are commanded by Scripture to be subject to the elders. 
But Peter seems to say, if you're on the younger end of that spectrum, you may need an extra nudge. You may need an extra reminder. Now, what does it mean to be subject? Well, I think, first of all, it means to recognize the authority of the elders. Uh, For some people, this is just no problem at all. The idea of recognizing the authority of elders. Uh, There are some people who would love to have elders that they're subject to. Maybe that sounds crazy to you. It really isn't. Um, the, uh, the, I have been told many times that um, the late George Poe, our beloved elder, who was here for many years, he used to have a saying. He used to say, former Baptists make the best Presbyterians. And uh, I, 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 that is his legacy with me. I know he did more than that, but that's... A great saying, and I actually tell it to all my pastor friends that I know, and they all agree with it too. So George was a very wise man. Um, but I do know this. Former Baptists seem to be excited to have church government. They're really excited to have a church that has elders. Um, and I read part of the reason I know that is because I was a former Baptist, and I came from a congregation that didn't have elders. And I'll never forget when I finally found a Presbyterian church. Uh, it had taken me years. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. It had taken me years to find a PCA church near my home. And I mean that relatively speaking because we still had to drive from McPherson, Kansas to Wichita, Kansas. And that was a one-hour drive one way. And we were glad to make that drive because we wanted to go to a Presbyterian church. And so we drove there to go to church and, and I just remember the excitement of it, the freshness of it. Every time I would meet an elder, I just felt the weightiness of the office. I would meet someone who just looked like an elder. I would say, are you an elder? They'd say, no, I'm just an old person. Um, <laughs> so after a while, I stopped asking every person if they were an elder. <laughs> uh, ask my wife. I really did that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, we joined... And uh, when I would meet an elder, I really would sense there was a weightiness to this office. And I know I was just bright eyed and bushy tailed and stuff, but it really meant something. And and it probably helped that I had just spent 10 years being a persuaded Presbyterian with no Presbyterian church to attend. I, I like to compare it to someone who was in the desert and finally finds some running water. It's just, wow, this is some really good water. And uh I remember feeling the same reverence to the office of elder when I went to my first Presbytery meeting. Um, and I remember feeling terrified before the elders when they ex- examined me. And, you know, the idea of being admitted to this group of, of men was also a weighty thing. And so for me, just being a fresh faced Presbyterian, the idea of submitting to elders was not much of an issue. Um, that's because I'd been to churches where things were just arbitrary. If the, the head pastor was mad at you, then he'd just kick you out of the church or, or suspend you from the sacraments or whatever he wanted to do. Um, but I do know, I think, I think this is true. I think some people may struggle with the idea of submitting to the elders. Um, after all, I mean, hearing that someone is an elder might be a big deal for a while, but once you've been around them long enough, it's just, oh, that's just Adam or, oh, that's just David or that's just whoever. That's just an elder. I know him. I see him all the time. I've seen him for years. Um, And, you know, that's always been true. Elders have always just been men. Uh, We are just ordinary people. We have families. We have jobs. uh, We live our lives basically the same way. And yet, 
we are also elders. And, and that means elders have other responsibilities average church members don't have. It means we'll have to answer to God for things that others don't have to answer for. Um, if you aren't an elder, if you never become an elder, you will never have to answer to God, for example, for whether you discipline the flock for unrepentant sin. You'll never stand before the judgment seat of God about whether you protect the church, protected the church from heresy and false teaching. Uh, we've been reading Wilhelmus Abrockel sort of as a group and, and talking through the book. And one of the things they talk about in the early ministry of, of Abrockel was he was preaching about the fact that elders, ministers will one day stand before God and have to answer for how they ruled. God is going to ask questions like this. How did you deal with their souls? Did you tenderly give attention to my lambs? Where are the souls that through your service have been converted and built up? And Abrockel mentions that for many ministers, this will be a grievous examination. They will wish they had never occupied that office. Yes, they will wish they'd never been born. It will be a dreadful burden to hear the accusations of misled and neglected souls. Listen to how a brockle picture some church members speaking to their former elders at the judgment. Listen to this. You knew very well that I was ignorant and lived in sin. If you had looked after me and warned me and rebuked me and instructed and directed me in the way of salvation, I would have been saved. Look, however, you unfaithful minister, you unfaithful elder, I am now going lost. Let God require my blood from your hand and deal with you as a wicked and lazy servant. Terrifying. If you're an elder. Sobering. Now, I hope none of you as church members envy that. I doubt you do. So if you ever tire of hearing elders speak to you about keeping the Sabbath or not doing business on the Lord's Day or trying to steer you away from sin or just trying to convince you to come to church more often, just remember elders will face a fearsome examination before the throne of God and it can and should weigh upon us and it should motivate us to care how you're living. It should motivate us to care what your lives are like on a daily basis. It really should matter to us. These are unique burdens that elders, even as ordinary men, carry and have to answer to God for. So you, you may not struggle to have an attitude of subjection, or maybe you do. Uh, just remember that just because you realize elders are ordinary men, like all of us, doesn't mean that you can treat them as though they aren't also elders. Let's think about a couple things that it means for you as church members to be subject to the elders for, for one thing, being subject to the elders means being willing to receive church discipline. Um, when I do the new members class, I try to make sure to talk quite a bit about this. Um, it's one of the questions we ask new members when they join the church. So if you are a communing member of this church, you have taken this vow. Listen to this vow. Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? Um, what I make sure to explain is that there may come a day when this vow is needed. All right, maybe you've never been under church discipline. Maybe you've been a, a member in good standing the whole time that you've, you've, you've been part of the church. Well, this vow may never have been relevant for you. 
But there may come a day when you or another church member commits an especially heinous sin and are not repentant. And when that happens, how that person responds is is everything. More than anything, church members need voices in their lives telling them, this is not okay. This will destroy you. This will destroy your life. This will destroy your family. It will ruin your soul. God gave us this law for a reason. He gave it to us for our good. I have known people, and surely you have too, they fell into sin, and instead of running to the church, they ran from the church, and they sought a new circle of friends, people who would affirm them, people who would embrace them no matter what, people who would tell them that all the wild things that they're doing are perfectly fine. And here's why those vows matter that we take. In the moment, When you are knee deep in sin, you probably won't want a church telling you that you're breaking God's law. That is the last thing you'll want to hear in that moment. You probably won't want a church holding you accountable and disciplining you. And the point is, those moments are the moments when vows and accountability matter most. I'll never forget, I'd been a member at this church that I had just joined. I'd probably been a member there six months, and after the service, members were invited to stay, and I saw my first excommunication. A father in a large family with many children, many children, he left his wife and children he had taken with a mistress, and he was absolutely unrepentant. He wasn't sorry. He said, he said I deserve this. He thought he had nothing to repent of. He thought he had spent his life being a good man, working hard, and he deserved this. At one point, he was a member in good standing. And he, if you had asked him six months before, he would have said, what a ridiculous thing to say about sin. And now here he was saying, I deserve this. I've been good for long enough. Just ridiculous things. And it is a predictable and common lie that people tell themselves, by the way. It is so cliche. If you ever think that thought, just say to yourself, I am a walking cliche. Don't say, I deserve this to sin. You never deserve sin. Now, in that moment, there was nothing he needed more than someone saying, Brother, it's sin. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your church, you must obey Christ, bow the knee, and repent. Turn away from what you're doing. As I say, when those moments come, you may not want those church vows. You'll probably want to be left alone. And that's exactly what this man wanted. He refused to meet with the session. He refused to speak with any of the elders. And he certainly wouldn't admit that he was wrong. And so after months of prayer and struggling and wrestling and reaching out, the elders made the decision to excommunicate him. And they read those terrifying words, pronouncing him outside the church delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in the hope that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the tears and the sorrow as his very large family sat in silence a few pews in front of me, listening to the decision of the elders sitting together as they heard that their father was outside of Christ and without hope in this world. Such a terrifying and serious thing 
to hear, and, it, and it's absolutely true. The Bible says to the elder of the elders, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The elders have the keys of the kingdom of God because they have and proclaim the word of God. When you give in to sin and want it and won't repent, it is in those moments you need vows and discipline and objective, weighty reminders about the serious discipline of the church. Church discipline wasn't invented by Jesus for the sunny days when everything is perfect. Jesus gave us church discipline because he knew cloudy days would happen and he knew that sin would happen in the church and he knew that sometimes people would refuse to repent. Even elders need that. Elders sin too. Elders need other elders. I'm subject to elders as well. I answer to elders. I answer to the elders of our presbytery. And in our sanest moments... When we aren't filled with temptation and sin that we know we should all honestly recognize, we need church discipline. In our sanest moments, we know we need church discipline. Do you see that you need it too? I pray to God this should never, ever happen. It is terrifying for me to even say these words out loud, but I pray that my church... And my presbytery would love me so much that if I should ever fall, if I should ever cheat on my wife, if I should ever fail in the ministry and commit some serious public sin that brings shame on the church and shame on the office of the pastor, that the church would be swift and firm and remove me from the office of pastor immediately. And I pray that if I would not repent, that I would be excommunicated by my presbytery in prayer and in hope that I would repent and be shaken to my senses and spiritually restored to Christ in all humility. Because that is what I would need most. And I know that because that's exactly what Jesus said we should do. And if you are a member of this church, I promise to love you so much that I will do the same for you. What I hope is that you have such an understanding of church discipline that you hope the church would do the same thing for you if you ever fell into sin and wouldn't repent. Anything less means you don't know your own heart or you don't know why church discipline really exists. Another part of what it means for church members to be subject to the elders is elders serve the church, but they don't work for the church. Um, Elders aren't employees of the church, the way you might hire someone for a business that you own. Um, Sometimes church members who who work in business, you know, they struggle with this. They're used to giving someone money and that person is now dependent on them. And so that person does what the person who gives them money tells them to do. But the church isn't a business and the elders aren't employees, not even the teaching elder. He receives compensation from the church and he is cared for by the congregation. But he works for God. He answers to God. He's accountable to the presbytery. He's compensated by the church, but he's not an employee of the church the way we think of employees. I remember once there was a Baptist pastor telling me about a member of the congregation who said he didn't want him to preach on a particular book of the Bible. Uh, And when the pastor said, well, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm prepared to preach on this book. I think that's what God has for us next. The response he received was, well, you work for us. You should expect my giving to stop if you don't hear what I have to say. So that mentality certainly does exist out there. I've never run into it here. Um, 
But churches aren't meant to be a business. Pastors aren't really employees of the church. They're members of the presbytery. They're obeying God. They work at God's behest. Elders are not to be domineering, but that doesn't mean they should always pull the congregation sort of the way a congressman might pull his constituents who vote for him every year. Um, Now, we recognize in the PCA that uh, officers are appointed by vote of the congregation and a pastor is voted on by the congregation. But do you ever wonder why pastors and elders don't get reelected every few years? Um, In part, it's because the office of elder isn't a temporary office that comes and goes. It's lifelong. And it's also because God knows elders often have to do unpopular things like practice church discipline. Uh, they make decisions church members don't always like. Not, every, not everything elders do is popular. And if we voted every few years, I, I fear that we as elders would be tempted to perform for the congregation, to do popular things, but not necessarily always the right things. Elders should not live in fear of the church as though they will be voted out. Rather, they're to live for God and live for God's pleasure and under his word. Elders of the church might have to make unpopular decisions that some in the church may not like. It's not that we want people to leave or don't care what folks think at all. But as I said, we will have to answer to God for those decisions. Uh, this is a tough message for American Christians to hear. You know, it's, it's one thing that makes congregational churches different from Presbyterian churches. The elder answers to the, to the elders, to the Presbytery, to the General Assembly, and ultimately to God for how the elders serve. And so part of what it means to be subject to the elders is you may let your opinion be known in a respectable way, remembering that you're talking to your pastor or elder, not Joe down the street, but... Ultimately, you accept the decision of the elders without causing dissension, without grumbling, without gossiping, without disrespecting them. Now, there is one way in which elders are accountable to the church, and it's in this way. Uh, If we as elders have sinned or if we have ruled in an unbiblical way or if we have gone against our book of church order, any commuting member in our system of government is allowed to complain to the higher courts. And that might, I know that sounds like legal mumbo jumbo. It sounds, you know, just sort of complicated. But what it really means is that if the elders of the church have sinned, if we've seriously erred, you can go to the courts that we answer to and you can hold us accountable. I actually think that remembering this is very sobering. Um, church members might be tempted to complain about elders, but the standard for bringing a charge against an elder is very high. Uh, There may come a day when you don't like a decision that was made, but here is the question, but is it sin? Does the Bible give us a thus saith the Lord on the issue? Has the elder disobeyed God? Has he violated the book of church order? If he hasn't, then being subject to the elders ultimately means accepting the decision of the elders and refusing to nitpick them for disagreements you may have with them. Being subject to the elders means receiving church discipline. It means respecting them as elders, not employees. It means refusing to grumble about them. And it means that if you have a sin to charge them with, do it soberly and seriously and with sufficient evidence. Be subject to the elders. The second point will be shorter, but Peter tells us how we can live in subjection to the elders. And the answer is a heart attitude. It's the heart attitude of humility. Now, we will talk about humility in a few weeks when I I return to the pulpit because Peter spends time dwelling on this in the coming verses. 
And by the way, if you struggle with anxiety, please be here for that message on that first Sunday in August. uh, Because that message deals deeply with the subject of anxiety. But just notice this. Peter immediately follows up his command to be subject to the elders with a command for all Christians to clothe themselves with humility. All right, do you, do you see this? this? There's a connection here. This is not like he's just turning a sharp corner and talking about something else now. He's just said, be subject to the elders. What's the next thing that he says? Be humble. He's saying, clothe yourself with humility. If you want to, if you want to be subject to the elders, it requires humility. Peter is saying, we need humility if our church family is going to work Without humility, we will constantly be kicking back against the church and against the elders and against the church government God has put in place. Um, Think of that husband and father that I mentioned who abandoned his family and had to be excommunicated. Part of why he refused to meet with the elders was pride. Rather than coming to the session with his head bowed and his heart full of submission, his attitude was of superiority. I can live how I want I know you men, you're all sinners too. I have nothing to answer to you for. I have nothing to repent of. Pride. Pride is totally destructive to the church. It's destructive to church government. Most of all, it's destructive to our souls. And Peter says the answer is humility. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. The answer is humility. And remember, humility humility doesn't mean thinking bad thoughts about yourself. It means remembering that others are more important than you. And those are very different things. Clothe yourself in it. Saturate yourself in it. Look at every single member of this church and say this to yourself. Their opinion is more important than mine. If you can't say it out loud, it's a mark of pride. Try to say it out loud. Their opinion is more important than mine. Look at every member of the church and believe it. And you will be on your way to being a humble church member. This person's priorities are more important than mine. God loves this person and I do not have priority over them and their wants and their needs. That's a heart of humility. It's the heart of a servant. It's what makes life with God's people work. There is nothing that makes life in the church more difficult, more unpleasant, more painful than pride. Listen to how Tom Schreiner says this. He says, humility, he's talking about this verse. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Pride gets upset when another doesn't follow our suggestions. Isn't that so good the way he says that? Humility is the oil that allows our relationships in the church to run smoothly. If you think about the rough and rocky things that happen in the church, it often can be because we want to be valued. We want our opinions to matter. They are important and we get frustrated because we feel like we're not being listened to. And humility says, they're more important than me. Imagine in all churches the, the sort of conflict, the way it would just evaporate if people in the church were humble in this way and believed that the opinions of others were more important than their own. What does Peter say here? Not only 
Does humility help life together to be pleasant and sweet and smooth? But God loves humility and he hates pride. Peter tells us God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are never more Christ-like than when we are humble. And we are never more satanic than when we are proud and stand our ground and defend ourselves. I presume all of us are are Christians, and yet we all still struggle with pride. I know I do. I know I do. We do, from time to time, think that our preferences are more important than someone else's, and that's probably an understatement. I know that is an issue for me. But Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, and what does the Bible say about Christ's own humility? It says that he set aside the rights he did have. In other words, he had the right to be heard. And yet he sat silent. He set aside his priorities. He, had, he was the most important person in the entire universe. And he said, everybody before me. My people first. I may be the king of the universe, but they're more important than me. And I will lay my life down for them. You see, the solution to peace in the church and living in subjection to the elders is for each and every one of us to have that attitude You before me. I'll submit to the elders because it's what I need most. I won't speak ill of the elders. I will pray my concerns before God. I'll be subject to the session of this church because I vowed it. And because Jesus himself says it's good for my soul. Let's pray. Lord, would you arrest our revolutionary hearts? Would you give us pause when we think of what it really means to be subject to the elders? We as elders are subject to the other elders, but members are accountable to the elders as well. So would you protect us from grumbling? Protect us from trying to be rulers in the church when that heavy Weighty responsibility belongs to others. Would you give us hearts that are submissive to Christ in all humility, just like Jesus lived for us? It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the submissive one, the humble one that we pray. Amen.